0: Good morning. It is good to be here. just want to say thank you so much for joining with us. Delighted to have you here uh, worshiping and hearing the Word of God together. Uh, A couple things I just want to make you aware of before we get going here. One is uh, we have elder nominations that are coming up. So we are an elder-led church, um, and so we are looking for uh, you as a congregation to actually be identifying those men uh, in our congregation who have the qualities uh, that are talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, uh, to take on that role of eldership. And so we're asking uh, that you would please return any nominations that you have by next. Next Sunday. Uh, you can pick up a form either at the Welcome Desk and you can drop them off there again. Um, but we encourage you to actually take this seriously, to, to be thinking about uh, who it is that might be um, yeah, ex- showing those, those gifts of leadership and that desire uh, so that we as uh, the elders, or yeah, as the elders, that they can go through that process of discernment uh, and walking through that. So uh, I just want to make you aware of that as well. One other thing, and this is a bit more uh, community-wide. Uh, many of you might know that there was a, a pretty major fire that took place this past week uh, just up on Russell Road. Uh, two townhomes actually engulfed in flames and five families have been displaced at this point. Um, So a number of you have actually talked to me about how you might get involved, how we might be able to help as a church. Um, And and my response to you, if you're looking to do that, is our Benevolent Fund. That's exactly what our Benevolent Fund is for, is to be helping those who are in need. And so if you'd like to contribute, please do so. Just mark your offering as Benevolent, uh, and we'll actually be able to help them. Uh, We have already been able to help them out of that fund, so thank you for your faithfulness. Um, But just want to encourage you, if you want to actually be able to reach out, uh, we'd love to to do that as a church together actually be serving our community here. So uh, with that being said, let me invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. We are continuing on in our series. Well, well growing up, I, I learned to ride motorcycles. I started on dirt bikes, and then when I got old enough, I ended up getting my driver's license as well, but one of the scariest times I've ever had on a motorcycle was actually with my wife. Uh, We were on a motorcycle and we were driving along just kinda out past Langley. It was a beautiful sunny day. We were going through sort of these nice windy roads and going along and then all of a sudden I felt on the back of my head I thought, what was that? And, and it was her helmet hitting the back of my helmet. And so I thought for a moment, well, maybe she just kind of, you know, moved a little bit and caught the bump wrong, and she just bumped it. But, but it happened again, and again, and again, and it kept happening. So eventually, we stopped, and I said, are, are you all right? Like, is something going on? She goes, oh, yeah, sorry, I'm just getting really sleepy back here. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, <laughs> You, you can't do that, you can't fall asleep on the back of a motorcycle, that's one of those things you really need to be awake for, right? Like if you wanna fall asleep in the, in the car as a passenger, that's fine, no problem. On a bike, I was terrified. I was, like, outside of all the other cars, that was what scared me, so I kept kinda of tapping her to make sure she was still awake as we got home. But it's one of these things that we just, we we wanna be alert, right? On the back of a motorcycle, you wanna be alert to what's all happening. Because if you do fall asleep, all the consequences can be bad. Right? And we could come up with a whole bunch of different things that we might have that, that fit in that category, things we want to make sure we are paying attention to, we want to be alert for, Right, driving. Uh, there's lots of instances of long haul truck drivers right, starting to fall asleep, starting to you know, not pay attention. And there's big consequences to those things. Right, or, or even just walking onto a construction site, you have to be a little bit alert as to what you're doing and what's all going on? Or, or how about just at home when your kids have been quiet for just a little too long and you're starting to think, yeah, I better go check on them, right? We, we pay attention to those things because there, there are consequences if we don't. We pay attention to things because we actually care about them, right? Maybe, maybe it's our finances, how we use our money or our health, right, how we're exercising or eating. We, we pay attention to that kind of stuff because we actually care But I wonder how often we overlook our spiritual lives in that list. Of all the things that we pay attention to, how often are we paying close attention to our own spiritual life and how things are going? I think oftentimes we simply just assume everything's good and move on. Well, this morning we are looking at one of these letters to the churches in Revelation And we're coming to this letter where a church had stopped doing exactly that. They had stopped paying attention to what was going on, and actually they got in a bit of trouble. So, if you have a Bible with you, I'll invite you to open up, read, uh, follow along with me in Revelation chapter 3, and we're coming to the church in Sardis. So, if you've ever thought, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say to me, uh, this definitely does, all right? Here we are in the church in Sardis. All right. All right. Follow along with me. This is what Jesus writes to us. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write: The words of him who has seven spirits, who has the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's as far as we're gonna read. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we, we ask, Lord, would you give us ears to hear what you have said? Lord, As we, as we take careful attention to what you have written. Lord, I I pray, would you open us up? Would you remind us of the dangers that there are? Lord, Lord, I pray, would we be a church that is alive, awake to what you are doing? Lord, might we not uh, take things for granted, but would would that we earnestly seek after you? Father, I pray, might we be a church worthy to walk beside you in white. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are looking at this letter to the church in Sardis. Now, this is obviously the ancient city of Sardis that's in modern-day Turkey, but we really want to ask this question, does it have anything to say to us, to this church in Sardis? And it's interesting because as you start to, to look at what was all going on in this city in, you know, back when this was written, actually you're going to start to see a lot of parallels that are going on. Sardis was a wealthy city. It it was sat in the middle of a whole bunch of different trade routes, and so they were quite well off. They, They enjoyed a lot of the luxuries that would come through and would stop in their town. It was, in fact, a city up on a hillside. In fact, one of the most notable things about this city is that they had not ever had their walls overthrown. In all of their history, their walls had stood secure. They were in a very naturally sort of defensive position because they, they backed onto this mountain side. So they had walls all around, you know, three quarters, and then they had this mountain to the back of them. And so they were sitting quite, quite happy, quite secure, quite wealthy, quite well off, and quite comfortable. And actually, as we start to look at this church, we realize, actually, the church is starting to look a lot like their city. They're starting to be quite comfortable where they were, quite well off. And in fact, if you notice something about this letter, we're missing something that every other letter so far has had. That is opposition. Opposition. Every other letter we've looked at up to this point, there's always been some sort of opposition, persecution going on. People were attacking the church, but not so here. In fact, there was no major opposition going on to the church. It seemed like the church was being quite comfortable, quite secure, quite happy to simply sit back in their luxuries. See, I think if we just consider that for a moment, that could quite easily describe us as well, couldn't it? As we sit here in one of the wealthiest parts of the country, in one of the wealthiest nations on earth, we are sometimes very comfortable. We're quite at ease. And in fact, we, we don't experience a great amount of opposition or persecution. In fact, we are quite well-liked by, by most people. And so I think of all the letters that are written here, As we've gone through them, they've always had something for us. But I think of all of them, the dangers this church was facing are the ones that we are going to face as well. I think the traps they fell into are the ones we genuinely need to be watching out for. And so Jesus calls this church, pay attention to your faith so that we actually might walk worthy before him. So to this church in Sardis, would we pay attention to our faith? that we might walk worthy before him. So let's dive into this passage, shall we? Verse one begins with this description of Jesus. All the letters have begun this way. It says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, if you were with us here when we began uh, this series, back in chapter one, we came across this description of Jesus. These seven spirits were, was this sort of uh, representation of the Holy Spirit who, who is complete in all of his works that he does. And the seven stars in Jesus' right hand were the seven churches that he's writing these letters to. See, I think he begins this way to give them this reminder, uh, well, of two things. One, of of where genuine spiritual life comes from. It it comes from the Holy Spirit, but but secondly, also, where true security lies. It is in the hand of Jesus, not in the walls of their city. So Jesus continues on in verse 1. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Dead. Jesus says you have a false reputation. Right? You're known for your good deeds. You're known for all the things that you do, but inwardly you are dead. You are a beautiful tombstone, exquisite on the outside, but inside it's death. You are a mansion with termites. It looks beautiful, but it's actually rotting and coming down. You are a Facebook profile. It looks perfect, but it's a lie, all right? All right? The reputation they had actually didn't live up to the reality of who they were. They had a good reputation amongst those uh, inside and outside the church, but, but that's never been what Jesus was looking for. He wasn't just looking for a good reputation around town. In fact, he wanted the life to back that up. He wanted them to actually be genuine in their faith. See, many of you will know that I spent some time studying down in the States, and uh, we, we took a trip. We were out in South Carolina in the, the Bible Belt, and I got to talk with this one guy, and we were chatting, and he was telling me about how he was having, it, or having a difficult time finding a church. I said, are, are you serious? Like, we just drove by 10 of them. Like, just, just shoot, go for one of them. And he said, I, I have been. In fact, I've been looking for a church that will just preach the Bible. I said, what are you talking about? He told me about the last sermon he had heard that was on the Statue of Liberty. See, there's a reputation that, that oh, the Bible Belt, they're all Bible-believing Christians, but, but oftentimes it's a false one. But, but hear me, it's really easy to point fingers somewhere far away, but this isn't a sermon for those far away. It's actually for us. So so what about us here in, in Sardis, in Chilliwack? See, we have a reputation as well, right? Abbotsford, Chilliwack, that's the Bible belt of the Lower Mainland. We're known for being a very Christian area. We have that reputation. The question we need to ask is, are we actually alive? Is this a true representation of who we are? Or are we alive on the outside and dead on the inside? Are we just putting up a front? What would it look like if our faith was dead? Well, the Bible gives us a number of different uh, uh, tests to ask. And the first one is just that dead faith is only concerned with the external. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. It's hard not to even see ourselves in that list somewhere. What is this appearance of godliness? Well, it's the external life, external actions that all look good, but inwardly they are self-focused. They are a love of comfort. They are a love of the approval of others more than God. So, so do we love ourselves most? Do, do we love going after our goals, our desires, our wants, our needs above our obedience to Christ? Is it our, our desires, our thoughts, our opinions that actually dictate our life more than a love for God? Do we love our comforts? Right, just ask yourself, what do you do when you're stressed out? What, what do you go to? I think a lot of times we end up running to some form of comfort or distraction to, to kind of try and ease the pain or the stress away. We go to things like our entertainment, TV shows, movies, food, alcohol, sex, or pornography. We have all kinds of distractions we can go to to make the pain go away. Things that we trust will help us more than God. In fact, things we love more than we love God. It's something no one else could see. It's a heart direction. It's an orientation of where our heart is going. What do you love the most? Do you love the approval of others? Right, you love it when people notice how good you are. You love it when they talk about you, when they admire you, and you will do whatever it takes to make sure that continues. But do you care about how you look before God? See, verse two in our passage says, part way through, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. See, Jesus reminds us where our approval should actually be found. See, this was a church that had been focused on having approval from others for the outward actions, and yet inwardly, Jesus says, But before God, it is not. In fact, you've been working for the approval of others, not for the approval of God. See, Jesus doesn't get distracted by a false reputation, he sees our lives for what they really are. So, are we alive? What do we love most? Do we actually put our faith into practice? See, James warns us about this. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead faith is all talk. Dead faith is going and saying, yes, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I believe these things, but it's never being put into practice. It's never actually coming up with anything, saying the right words and doing nothing. Nothing. See, sometimes we think, as long as I'm not actively sinning, as long as I'm not actively hurting someone else, then, then that's good enough. But that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for, 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 for a stagnancy or, or just trying to be passive in all of this thing. No, actually, Jesus is looking for active obedience, how our faith works itself out. See, we have a whole bunch of very Christiany ways to get out of things, don't we? Right? Someone comes to us and tells us you know, uh, about a problem or hurt, and we say, oh, I'll pray for you. And it's the right thing to say, it's the right thing to do, but how often has that been our excuse to do nothing? Or we'll say, you know what, I'm just really waiting to see where God guides me or directs me, or you know what, uh, It's not really my gifting, I don't feel like God is leading me in that direction, or I'm still really meditating and praying over it, all of those things are right but how often have they been used to do absolutely nothing? See, actually, that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for our faith to be put into practice. So when's the last time you shared your faith? The last time you actually went out and shared about what Jesus has done? Or are we still praying about that? Is that our excuse? When's the last time we've fought hard against sin? Not, not, not just sort of like a, a passing interest as we continue to sin, but, but actually struggled and said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to not continue in sin. I wanna fight against it. I was talking with a man a number of years ago. He was wrestling with pornography. A- and he was telling me about one night, he, he was really struggling, he didn't know what to do, so he actually ended up taking a sleeping pill and basically just knocking himself out for the rest of the evening. Because he figured, I'd rather be unconscious and faithful to what God is calling me to do than to continue to be up and sin. Do we actually fight against sin? Are we alive? Do we put our faith into practice? Uh, Is our heart loving God more than anything else? Because Jesus warns us there is a danger in not paying attention to these things. Matthew chapter 7 If I can be honest, I think that's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. It's one of the scariest things that we can be so self-deceived that we think that we think we're doing things for God, but actually our heart can be far away, where what we do becomes just a show to put on a display for others so we look good, but inwardly it's all about us and not for God. So are we alive? Are we following God when no one is looking? Are we putting our faith into action? Do we actually love God more than anyone else? See, we can have a reputation of being alive, but inwardly, we can be dead. So what do we do? What if we do actually look at our lives and we take an honest look and say, you know what, I I might be dead. In fact, there's certainly areas in my life where where that describes exactly me, And, and if I can be really honest, I stopped even trying. What do we do then? What if we hear the words of Jesus and it scares us? First of all, can I say, that's a good thing. Dead faith is apathetic. Dead faith hears that and is unconcerned with sin. Genuine faith hears the words of Jesus and responds. So how are we to respond? Look back with me at verse 2. Jesus says to this church, wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Jesus calls this church, wake up! You guys have been sleeping and the fire has burned out, it has grown dim, wake up. See, I said before Sardis had never been conquered and in fact that's true, no army had ever gone over or through their walls but actually the city had been overtaken twice. They had been overtaken twice because they had failed to set a guard. I said that walls were around three quarters. Well, the armies, when they actually wanted to take over, they just went up over the mountain and down into the city. And the problem is they hadn't even set a guard to watch and see if that would happen twice. See, they would have recognized immediately what Jesus was talking about, this laziness, this apathy that can result in being overthrown. So Jesus says, wake up, keep alert, watch your faith, and pay attention to what is happening. How often has our own spiritual life faded, not because something horrific has happened, not because of some giant problem that's come up in our lives, but actually because we've just slowly, imperceptibly stopped paying attention. And before we know it, we are far away from God. Jesus says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Do something about that dying faith. If you're here and you're saying, you know, that that describes me, that looks a lot more like my life than I want it to, what do we do? Jesus says, verse three, remember then, what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. Remember, keep, and repent. Remember what it is that Jesus has done. Remember that the gospel isn't about Jesus coming to give life to people who are spiritually alive, but to come and give life to people who are spiritually dead. Jesus didn't come for those who had it all together. He came for those who were messed up and were dead in their sins. In fact, when Paul writes Ephesians chapter 2, he starts off and he says, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, not dying, not drowning, dead on the bottom of the lake, gone, right? This is dead as a dead animal that that your dog runs off into the woods and comes back with this crusty bird that may or may not have happened to me, all right? No No one runs up and says, oh, no, this bird, it is long gone. That's how God has found us, and He doesn't leave us alone, The good news is that God came to us. Ephesians chapter 2 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God came across us dead, trapped, gone in our sins. And He came and sent Jesus to the cross so that we might live, so Jesus might stand in the place, so that He might take that punishment for us, so that we might have new life. The good news is that for everyone, for all who trust in Jesus, He makes us alive in Him. We are given new life because of what Jesus has done, because we serve a God who brings life out of death, who brings forgiveness of sins who has loved us so much that he did not leave us where we were but that he saved us and so jesus says remember that remember what the gospel is about keep it hold on to it don't let it go keep on trusting in what jesus has done how often have we begun well and thought yes this is what jesus has done and then we try and, and try and you know supplement what Jesus has done. We try and add to it, or we think that we have to grow somehow outside of it. No, hold on to what he has done, because he is the one who will hold you. Finally, Jesus says, repent. Turn away from your sin. No longer pursue after the praise of others. No longer put other things ahead of Jesus. Don't try and make your faith a show to impress others. Instead, focus on actually following Jesus each and every day. See, dead faith leaves us with this love of idols, of all these other things that cannot save, leaves us with an apathy for spiritual life, and leaves us without Christ for all of eternity. Living faith turns our heart to Jesus turns our faith into obedience, and secures an eternity with him. Jesus continues in verse 3. He says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at which hour I will come against you. See, Jesus tells them what the outcome of this continued passivity, what this apathy will actually result in. There's a warning, Jesus himself will remove them. In fact, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes a very similar warning. It says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. See, for those who walk with Jesus, for those who trust in him, the return of Jesus is not something to worry about. In fact, it's something to prepare for and rejoice over its coming. Remember what Jesus has done, how he has taken our dead faith out of sin and redeems us, gives us new life. Hold on to it and let us turn away from our sins, for Jesus is coming again. Wake up no longer be spiritually asleep. Instead, let us walk worthy of the good news that we have received. May we be a people that is actually worthy to walk with Jesus. The final thing Jesus says to this church is both at the same time a a challenge and a promise. Verse four, he says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not spoiled their garments and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. It's a challenge and a promise. It's a challenge to actually live up to what God is calling us to, but it's also a promise for those who trust in Him. It's a promise that we will one day walk with Jesus wearing white, that we will walk side by side in purity and holiness without any defilement on us. We'll stand with God without guilt or shame or fear or worry or concern but instead have perfect peace with God. No longer do you go to bed with thoughts and worries buzzing around your head constantly, making your stomach turn over and over again in this constant just battle with yourself that maybe one day someone's going to find out what I've done. In fact, all of that will be wiped away because Jesus has forgiven us. The challenge is then, would we walk in that now, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of what Jesus has done? 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes this. He says, to this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every uh, work of faith by His power. So, at the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying that this church would be worthy of the calling of Jesus. What does that mean? He's saying, I, I'm praying that your faith will be turned into action, that, that your life will actually begin to reflect what it means to follow after him. Right? You've heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is. Right? It's sort of this challenge to, hey, if this is what you actually believe, do something about it. Well, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. If this is actually what you believe. Do something about it. Share what you believe. Means we actually want to work to stop sin, stand against injustice, to love lavishly, to help the poor and the needy. It means we're not just intellectual Christians, we are genuine people who follow Jesus. We don't have a lazy faith. It's a calling to strive for day after day. Is your life a worthy reflection of Jesus yet? Mine's not. My prayer is always more today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. Keep going, keep striving after the call that Jesus has placed upon us because there is a promise for those who do. Verse five, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, he who has an ear. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus gives a promise for this church, for the one who, would, uh, who conquers, the one who holds their faith until the end. They will be given white garments. They will walk before God in purity, but in fact, they will experience that open relationship with God, like Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden. So one day, we shall walk with him there. No more hiding, no more worry. Jesus promises the one who conquers, who holds on to the end, will never have his name blotted out of the book of life. See, here's a church that's living in a city that is feeling they are secure. Their high walls, their defensive position will protect them. They will be safe from anything that's coming. And yet, Jesus is promising something far greater. Revelation chapter 20 talks about these books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you want to know what real security looks like? It's on that day, having your name in the book of life that will never be taken away. See, the day of judgment when every one of the things we've ever done is going to be read out loud before all, all the things we thought were in secret, all the things we thought were just in our head or our hearts will be shown before everyone. See, that is the day we're looking for security. That is the day when we are looking to be saved. And that is the day that Jesus has a promise for us. For all who would trust in him, our names would be written in that book and will not be removed. Jesus says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Jesus himself will be our advocate. See, back in verse 2, Jesus says, before God, your works are not complete. But the promise is, before God, I will. I will be your advocate, I will stand for you. Yes, your works, they're incomplete, but Jesus's are not. He will stand and he will speak on our behalf. For all those who trust in him, we will be saved. His death has covered our sins, that on that day, we are not looking for the approval of others, we are looking for the approval of God. See, that is the promise for those who walk worthy of the gospel, who press on to that end. Jesus himself will be by our side, our comfort, our security, our advocate. Don't seek after the comforts of this world at the expense of the next. Don't seek after safety here. It is that day we are looking for. Don't care more about the approval of others than the approval of God. May we be worthy of him. So church in Sardis, are we alive? Or have we fallen asleep at the wheel? See, I think for us, the greatest temptation we have is towards this complacency and this laziness. When nothing is attacking us, we can just let things go loose and and not really worry about it as if there were no consequences to it. We can be comfortable here in our little Bible belt, never worrying about what's on the line. Brothers and sisters, let us be awake, alert in our faith. Would we take this to heart and would we hear what the Spirit has to say to us? Let us never become satisfied with all of the comforts, with all the peace that Canada has to offer, that we would become lazy to seek after the eternal ones found in Jesus. Let us put our faith into action. No longer just saying the right things, but actually following through because we genuinely believe it. That we actually love God above everything else. Let's remind ourselves each and every day of our need for God, what He has done. Hold on to Him and repent of the times when we have not. Let us be worthy of this calling. Let this be a church of living faith that we would cling to the cross not in reputation only, but in genuine love and faith that leads us to obedience to him, boldly proclaiming the good news of the one who saved us. That is what Jesus has to say to the church in Sardis. Let's pray together. Oh Father, Father, we confess there have been times when we have been asleep when we have not cared about what you call us to do, but instead we have been comfortable in our apathy. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our indifference to eternity. Forgive us for our lack of caring about holiness and purity. Forgive us for our slow response to the sin you point out. Lord, forgive us for the times we have not spoken your name. For the neighbors who haven't heard your truth. But Lord, build in us a faith that is alive. Build in us a love for you above all other things. Build in us a love to obey what you call us to, that we might be able to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of who you are. Father, we ask, don't let us be asleep, but Lord, wake us up that we would live to know you, that we would live to serve you, that we live to give you all the glory. Lord, make us worthy of this calling. We ask in your name. Amen.